now. Yeah, that's the funnest thing. <laughs> is when you get older, then you you don't have to be like the total parent. Now your job is to to follow after me and figure out where I'm going. <laughs> that's true. Well, make sure I'm fed and all that. That's true. I do try to make sure you're fed. Welcome to Hip and Humble. I'm Aram. And I'm Mom. And we talk about all things antiques and collectibles. Yes, we do. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors, Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC, with two locations. We got one just outside of Oklahoma City in Bethany, Oklahoma, at the Rink Gallery. Our second physical location is in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia, at Oldies But Goodies. And please come on down. We got a lot of great stuff. It's getting close to Christmas time. Well, it's getting close to Thanksgiving, but it's also getting close to Christmas time. And so right. all the Christmas stuff is out and antique Christmas things are fantastic. They're really cool. They really add something to your already amazing holiday. Well, we're going to have to do a, a show on, on Christmas stuff. Oh, we, we certainly will. We certainly will. Cause I like it. And also, we want to thank the WGSN DB Going Solo Network. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, guys. You guys are awesome. Uh, this is an awesome network, and we're happy to have you guys on, and we hope you guys enjoy. Absolutely. All right. And today, today. we are talking about something pretty cool. Well, today, also, just in case anybody needs to know, is the first really cold day. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. In case you guys were wondering. Yeah. Which, if any of you guys are in, like, a really cold place, this is just a joke for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, anything, anything I would say north of uh, South Dakota, this is a joke weather. Yeah. yeah. And, and what's also really funny is that my son doesn't particularly care for the cold weather, yet he was born in Montana. Yes, I was born in Montana. I think I got so much of the cold when I was a baby that I was like, cold. I was like, I'm good. No, you didn't. Well, I was just around it. I was around the cold. Not really. You were like under my coat <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah, but I did go from Montana to Texas. That's true. <laughs> That's true. We went from Montana to Texas, and I don't think I don't think you'd ever even been been outside without a jacket on. Yeah. And it took forever to pry your little body out of that jacket because you're like, no, I can't go outside with a jacket. I'm like, it's like <laughs> a thousand degrees down here. Your dad kept trying to get you out. I said, just leave him alone. So he'll sweat it he'll out. Figure it out. All right. But and he did. Yeah. Well, I did. I did. And then I grew to love summer. True. Very true. And today, getting back on topic, we are talking about the Pilgrim period. Well, the Pilgrims were very cold. So they were cold, but it does circle around. It does circle around. The Pilgrims were very cold, and uh, I know that we always say it, but uh, the past is important, and it may be awful or it may be amazing. It's also easy to criticize the past, but always remember when you and I are gone, somebody will be doing the same to us. So very true. Many people refuse to live in the present because of their past or their ancestors' past or whatever, but. Inside the present is really our only opportunity to influence the future. In 1621, two races of people sat down together and celebrated a short-lived but beautiful peace. Well, you might ask yourself a lot of questions about this meal. What did they eat? How many people were there? How long did the meal last? Well, the first question we like to ask is, what were they eating 
on. <laughs> yes. Because you can't have a good dinner just eating it on the dirt. You got to eat it on something. You got to eat it on something. Well, today we're going to be talking about the interesting transitional styles of furniture and the pilgrims that use that the pilgrims used when they first came to the United States. The earliest American style of furniture is also known as the Pilgrim Period. Yeah, Pilgrim Period furniture was built between 1640 and 1690. It's actually really cool because a lot of the European trained woodworkers that came over on the Nina the Pinta, or sorry, on the Mayflower, wrong set of boats. No, the, I was thinking of the wrong boats, but on the Mayflower, <laughs> they, they didn't come with very much. They didn't come with any real furniture or supplies. So a lot of the stuff that they use a lot of the furniture they made um, revolved around modifying these trunks that they had brought over. Well, they also broke up the boats, right? And they also broke up the boats and used a lot of those, <laughs> a lot of the pieces or a lot of the wood from the boats. But they didn't, or, and they also used a lot of the trees down here in Virginia because Virginia has quite a lot, a lot of, of trees. Okay, just a little question out there. Maybe somebody can answer this for me. Mm-hmm. They did use a lot of the boats and the wood from the boats and stuff like that. Yes. Well, in Texas, having shiplap on your walls or whatever, and they make a real big deal, and it is beautiful. It's gorgeous, yeah. About having you know found this shiplap and whatever, they came from the ships. Well, number one, Gulf of Mexico, I get it. How many people were parking there at the Gulf of Mexico and breaking up ships because I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm from Oklahoma. So I've been all over Texas too. And finding shiplap in Amarillo, Texas <laughs> kind of seems like a stretch to me, but yeah, and there's not a lot of trees there. So no, but a lot, a lot of the, I just got to wonder how it got there. Well, yeah, a lot, I would say a lot of the modern, uh, shiplap quote unquote, I'm using air quotes for those of you that can't see me. Um, <laughs> Which would be everyone but me. Yes. Is, uh, well, just but they'll treated, say, no, is this is a reach, original shiplap. Yeah, well, I'm sure that there's a technicality that they can use to say it's original shiplap. Well, that's true. It's like genuine leather. Or like, uh, genuine leather or like just organic means it has food. leather bits in the plastic. Right. Or like organic food. Yeah, organic food. Yeah, yeah that's another one. Mm-hmm. Like it just has to be, uh, it has to sit out a certain number of days or whatever. Really? Mm-hmm. I thought they just didn't use like pesticides and stuff. Well, they, they but they could still use. They don't use pesticides on the plants, but they can still use them on the ground. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it's not even, okay. not even a real difference. Well, there you go. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, but the, uh, I will say that the pilgrims didn't use any pesticides in their foods. Well, no, there wasn't any. No, there wasn't any. And they didn't really know how to grow foods until they met the Indians. That's right. Mm-hmm. The Indians taught them how to plant and harvest. And that their first big harvest was the reason that we have Thanksgiving, obviously. And a lot of the, I will say, culturally rejected or religious uh, religious zealots that they were, they came over and they had to put all of the skills that they had acquired in Europe to practice, including, and most especially, woodworking. <laughs> so the pieces that they used were actually really large, 
And they were very straight and very sturdy because all the European trained woodworkers that they had, they modeled their furniture after medieval and renaissance design. And a lot of the, the medieval chairs and the renaissance chairs were very, very large, very sturdy, you know, like thinking think, – Very cumbersome. Very, think uh, like, a, like a king's throne. Yeah. You know, something you see like that. Well, and for those of you that listened to our last podcast, they used a very familiar joint. Yes, they did. And remember what that joint was? I do. I do. What is it? Mortise and tenon joint. Yes. The mortise and tenon joint. For those of you who don't remember, the mortise and tenon joint is one where basically a hole is cut into one piece of wood and the other wood, the end of the other piece of wood is shaved off to fit into that hole. Kind of like a Like lock, a dowel. Like a dowel or like a lock and key. Mm-hmm. So yep. the woods that they mostly used were the, the ones that they had readily available, which were oak and pine. And that's a nice thing. If An interesting thing to make a note of is they did use oak and pine. So when you find a piece of furniture, antique furniture, and uh, it's mahogany or mm-hmm. another wood, that generally came over from, right. from somewhere in Europe. Right, because so, they didn't have that material uh, readily, readily available, available until – uh, until the 18th century. Well, I mean, there are still obviously, because this was a little bit ago, so the oak and the pine are antique also, but if they're, if somebody's claiming, oh, this is a, you know, a, a an American made, an American or US made, made, yeah, um, antique from whatever, and it's mahogany, it isn't, it's, it's from, it's from Europe. Somewhere. Unless it's been, uh, refurbished with mahogany, because there's some, well, mahogany with, veneer, but right, that's, that's what I mean. Know. They put a mahogany veneer on it or something of that accord. Basically, it's just kind of a little, little nice thing to know whenever you're trying to figure out the etiology of a piece of furniture mm-hmm. especially if it's a, a very old vintage antique piece of furniture yeah well and to segue onto into a and to kind of plug the our sponsor a little bit more uh, we like to make we like to revitalize older pieces and make them multifunctional or give them a new purpose and the furniture that they built back then in the pilgrim period the pilgrim period furniture I could say pilgrim period all day <laughs> the pilgrim period furniture was Peter very Piper? was very multifunctional Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers with the period pilgrim furniture rubber baby bumper boats <laughs> six slick chic with six chic sheep <laughs> But they usually used linen boxes, and they were built at a height where they could also be used as chairs, cupboards, paneled cradles, um, trestle bases, and gate leg tables. Now, for some reason, the name gate leg table didn't register for me. But for, And for those of you that don't know, the gate leg tables were first introduced in England in the 16th century, and they have a, a fixed middle – and they have one or two hinges of leaves propped up by hinged legs, which can be moved. And uh, they're pretty common. They're really, really useful. Um, a lot of people now they call them drop leaf tables. Right. A lot. Of, yeah. They're commonly referred to as drop leaf tables. And I think that's why I, I there was a lapse in my mind when I was doing the research. Well, you know, I mean, it's one of those things that you know you know it more by the more modern name and mm-hmm. than the other. So yeah, yeah. And speaking of the different 
ornate or ornate pieces or the different interesting pieces the frequently the they ornated their case pieces with different carvings including flowers lunettes scrolls leafage and geometric elements like diamonds and diamonds. diamonds and triangles and things like that again modeling that european medieval style mm-hmm. uh, or medieval and renaissance style that a lot of the geometric well shapes. some of it also because one of the reasons they came over here was not only to get a good meal but um, <laughs> was also for religious freedom. Right. And so a lot of, uh, like I was I was reading here a little bit ago, a lot of the different things that they did carve onto in their woodwork and their embroidery and, you know, in their lives were religious symbols. So right. So the oak leaves and stuff would resemble um, God and strength and, and uh, whatnot. So kind of the uh, scrolls and the flowers – and a lot of those geometric things are, believe it or not, from, you know, really ancient times. And so, you know, everybody hears about the yin and the yang from the east. That kind of just kind of evolved and morphed into their own symbolism. version symbolism. Yes. Well, and the reason that their furniture was very ornate is because obviously at that time they were hand making everything and they were trying to establish kind of, you know, they were making their own colony, trying to establish themselves as their own entity in a, in a foreign land that wasn't theirs at the time. And so they were, they were making things to remind them of, you know, who they were and also the religion that they, their religion they were trying well, to practice. You always kind of make something that's familiar to you. Of course. If you're making furniture for your home and whatnot, you want it to be familiar because familiar is comforting. Absolutely. You want it to be comforting because, I mean, anything you have in your home wants you, you want it to be part of your home. So back then they had different, a couple of different tools and they had specific jobs within the woodworking they do. And they had this one tool called a turner. Like now we have, they have woodworkers or, or carpenters now have these really impressive machines that you can stick, uh, yeah, lay that you can put wood into. And it will spin the wood, and you can carve it into whatever shape, round yeah, shape. Yeah, you make the little grooves in your legs, or mm-hmm. just all kinds of different. Or little designs. And my, things my, like one that. of my uncles, he he has a lathe, and he uh, he would make pens. Oh wow, that's really so cool. So he actually he made me a um, needle pick. So oh, that's neat. Yeah, a seam ripper. So it's really pretty. It's one of my favorite things. That's really neat. Yeah. But back then they had uh, turners, so they had cut lathe, turn posts, and spindles, and they would assemble those into joint stools, and then they would put those joint stools into these massive great chairs, the large armchairs. So, so there were two different types specifically that they would make, two different types of chairs specifically that they would make, and they were called carver chairs and brewster chairs. And these are na- these are named after men who supposedly took such thrones with them on the Mayflower. So basically two guys on the mayflower took their own chairs with them and since there wasn't very much furniture they kind of used these chairs as a model right for all the other furniture that they made but i like how they're called thrones yes absolutely because a lot of people may or may not know that most of the people that came over on the mayflower were not only coming coming for religious freedom but they were generally the second born of the family because in Europe at the time, everything was passed down to the firstborn child. Right. So the firstborn child got the land, the titles, the money, and everything else. So your second board, third, or whatever, were just kind of out in the 
left out. Well, and that's because the firstborns are generally the smartest and the most. Uh, well, the best I kind of tend to agree with you, but <laughs> in my case, anyway. But oh, right, right, not in mine, but definitely in yours, sure. But you know, when they came over here, I think a lot of them, you know, they love the idea of having the opportunity to own their own land. And have their own money and, you know, be prosperous. Right. And basically be free to, to practice the religion that they wanted and to do what they wanted to establish a home and system of commerce that they wanted that benefited all of them. Right. You know, they, they really got to work as a, as a tribe. Well, and it was, you know, a lot of it was just very self-serving. Right. Um, you know, to do that, I think, of, I think like anybody would, I mean, I think that, you know, everybody would like to make something of themselves. But they had the will and the drive to do it. They had the will and the drive, and also they had history on their side. Yeah, there weren't a whole lot of Karens on that boat. Not a lot. Well, Karens are uh, not really Whiny the people. survivor type. <laughs> and uh, to survive a ship, a voyage on a ship in the 1600s, you had to be pretty tough. Pretty tough. Yeah, considerably tough. Also, it was hard to get women on on boats back then, period, because women in the 1600s were considered bad luck on ships. True. Yeah, so a lot of the sailors, they wouldn't wouldn't sail with women on board. Well, just another little fun fact. As after the East Coast started getting, you know, a little crowded and they started moving west, women would marry whoever – Mm-hmm. They would marry whoever, a man or whatever, and they they would work together to get, you know, to the west or right. wherever they were going. And a lot of times, a man would wake up and she's gone. <laughs> yep. she'd moved on, made another home. She was going somewhere else. She's moving on. So it's like people would, you know, quote unquote, marry, you know, for convenience to get across, you know, get across well, the land, ma- work marry, together, marry for helpers because it takes yeah. a, it takes a lot to move some move hundreds of miles in, in back true. in that time. Very true. I mean, it, there's a it popular. Takes, it there's takes a, po- a lot of work to move ten miles back it, in that time. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's a there's a popular comedian Louis C.K. who did a joke on that. He said, you know, nowadays you can take or you can get on a plane and go from New York to L.A. in six and a half hours. Said so back then, you know, it would take thirty years to get from <laughs> New York to L.A., and by the time you got over there, it'd be a whole new group of people. You know, true. it'd be your sons and daughters over there. It wouldn't even be you. That's true. And that, I mean, true. it was it was one hundred percent true. So I mean, if so, people whenever people were expanding would take back then, exactly thirty years. Well, no, it's a rough, rough estimate. Very rough. Yes, very, very rough. Coarse sandpaper rough. (laughs) Back to the chairs. So the two chair, the two styles of chairs, the Carver and the Brewster chairs. So Carver chairs were named after a gentleman named John Carver. He was born in 1576 and he died in 1621 just after they got there. Or well, just after the first Thanksgiving. Yep. So the, he was the founder. Turkey. He probably got stuffed. (laughs) Got stuff. <laughs> so he was the but founder. The great question is, what's that? Were there cranberries in the stuffing or not? I don't think so. It's just a big debate. I'm I'm pretty sure there wasn't. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm pretty sure there wasn't. So the founder, he was the founder and the first governor of the Plymouth Colony in the U.S. A his chair was. Or excuse me, a chair of his design was reportedly owned by the governor, and he was, and it was displayed in Plymouth, Massachusetts, all the way up until the late nineteenth and the early twentieth century. 
So the Carver chair is interesting. It's an American spool chair with a rush seat and turned legs. So legs that, that were shaped on a lathe. And it had a rise above the seat level to a frame in the back that supported the armrests. So basically the, the, the four pillars that were the legs would come up through the, through the, through the seat and they would support the back and they would support the armrest. So a lot of chairs nowadays, the base of the chair and the top of the chair where the armrests and the back of the chair are now are separated by the seat. The seat will kind of flood outside like a platform. Yeah. And th- these, these chairs, basically like a big big block and then they would put the seat in the middle of the block so the back normally contained excuse me contained three vertical spindles and was topped with decorative finals now, or i wonder if that chair is still on display in plymouth so actually we're, there is a museum in massachusetts the the Pilmouth Plantation Museum, and it has them on display currently. It has two different models of the, both the Brewster and the Carver chairs. That's not the that's not the exact Carver chair that, that right. was kept, but, but reproduction. Correct. I have to ask my girlfriend Barbara if she goes to the museum, and so she can look at it and take a picture for me. She won't go right now because of all the COVID. But well, Barbara, you can go there. And take a picture for me. It'd be great. Absolutely. I don't, and I think Barbara's lived in Massachusetts most all her life. And I was completely shocked when I found out she had never been. I thought, how can you live there all your life and not be some, you know, go to what's around you? But well, she has gone now. I think I guilted her into it. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, so I mean, for I mean, everybody else, if you live in a great place, and pretty much every place is a great place because there's some history everywhere absolutely go see your town go Go see your state go see your country absolutely and on that note we're going to take a short break hi my name is kaylin and i'm the host of a new podcast called tea time thoughts do you ever wish you could learn more about history books music art and culture but you just don't know where to start i totally feel your pain learning about all these things can be so overwhelming well i want to change all of that for you In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today. Welcome back. Welcome back to Hip and Humble. I'm still Aram. And I'm still Mom. And we are still talking about Hip and Humble antiques and collectibles. And uh, today, in particular, we are talking about Pilgrim Period Furniture. And But before we get back to talking about that, I wanted to give a shout-out again to our sponsors, Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. Uh, if you guys are not following our Instagram, please follow our Instagram. It's hipin.humble. That's H-I-P-N dot humble on Instagram where we post, uh, we post daily and we make updates and we put our schedule and we put all the links everywhere in, um, our description. So if you guys aren't following it, please follow it, like it, like one of our photos, comment on something you'd like to hear about. We are always looking for feedback and we are always love interacting with you guys. Well, I do. Absolutely. I do. Aram does a lot more than I do. I have to confess, I don't get on there very much because I am generally working with antiques. So. Yes, yes, she is. A, <laughs> she is a I'm phenomenal kind of, refurbisher, and she is a our picker, really. 
and I get in a lot of trouble and I've caused my son a lot of irritation <laughs> because I am not attached to my phone or the computer. Yeah, that's but you know what? for some reason a point of pride. Yeah, it is a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but for some reason in antiques and redoing and you know refurbishing and whatnot, I don't need my phone, and I don't want it in there because I'm usually dirty or sandy or right. Whatever. You don't want to ruin the phone and everything like that. Yeah, well, that and is it, my best and newest excuse. Bam. Yeah, that's a good one. That's Happy a good day one. for me. It's not. It's not a good one. Um, also, if you guys really like what we're doing, please check out our Patreon page. If you got, if we guys, if we get some supporters, we're gonna start filling up that page with a lot of original content, videos, and cool stuff. Might do some scare cams because I'm a little annoying to everyone in my family. That's true. And <laughs> and it's just really fun for me. But uh, anyways, yeah, guys, if you really like what we're doing, please support us. Go to our Patreon page and uh, do make a small contribution monthly or, or anything you like, and uh, we'll start putting some really cool content on there. We also always release our episodes on Patreon first. Also, we want to thank the WGSN DB Going Solo Network. Thank you. Thank you. We love you guys. We appreciate having you on here. We hope you guys are having a fantastic time. If you're just joining us, go ahead and check back later or that or check back next week so that you can listen to this episode again and catch the front half. The front half. The front half. She only gives them the back half. Well, she gives them both halves, halves, but apparently some people they'll they'll come in at a certain time and they'll miss one half or the other. Oh well. But and if you're just joining us now, we still we still appreciate you, even though you didn't listen to the first half. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. You missed all the fun part there. <laughs> First, we'll have different fun now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. We will have different fun now. That's right. All right. And before we went, we were talking about the different styles of chairs that came model, over on the Mayflower. That came out over on the Mayflower, and that that period of furniture, all those chairs were modeled after. So we just finished talking about. The Carver chairs, and the other chair was the Brewster chair. The Brewster chair was actually named after William Brewster. He was a father in the Pilgrim colony, and his chair was heavier and it was a little more ornate, and they had a it was a little more ornate spool chair than the related Carver chair. So that chair was a. I was trying to think, there's something about the way that the spools are done. Yes, but I don't remember exactly. What it was right at the moment. Well, they, well, they, both of them from England. Yes, both of them were from England and they were, they were made in New England in the mid 17th century. They had a very straight or rectilinear design. Yeah. And yeah. so all of their spindles, they were shaped on a lathe and the wood components, the high posts at the, the back terminating into decorative finals. They had the finials. ornamental spindles and finials. They're called finials. Yes, finials, sorry. Those they spindles those. they had in the back and the sides and they generally had a woven seat. Yep. Yeah. And those are hard to mess with. Yes. Yes, they are. They are definitely hard to mess with. Like we talked about before, too, you can find a lot of examples of these furnitures in a lot of museums. And private collectors really love these because these, like we said in the beginning, are the first real pieces of furniture actually made in America. Well, in the least, United States. Yeah, in the United States. So I, was, I, I should have should clarify. Yeah, because so, America is big. Yes, it is very large. But the United States. 
the United States. Yes. And I will say a little a little side note if you, if anyone ever claims that they have a piece of furniture that was built by the pilgrims, especially that first pilgrim colony, they are lying. Are they? Yes, there are no pre sixteen forty American uh, furniture. Really? All of those furniture they they they've ceased to exist. They've gone on to be uh, dirt or firewood or firewood ash. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? Sometimes you got to burn what you got. So yep, that's very true. Or they probably gave it to like one of their kids, and the kid was like, "Man, eh, it's just dad's old chair," and got pushed off in the corner, and eventually, <laughs> you know, was out in the barn and. Who puts a chair in a barn? What are you doing sitting in a barn? Well, milking a cow, I guess. Well, you use a, use a stool for that. Well, not if you got a chair. Well, that's too high to milk a cow, though. <laughs> Big cow. God, guess. I don't think so. <laughs> you never milked a cow. I, I, I have been near many cows, and that is way too high to milk a cow. <laughs> I have never milked never one. Know. You, you never are know. correct. If you're a really short person... Yeah, I'm, uh, but I'm not. I know you're not. <laughs> He's my reacher. Yeah, uh, that's why I was born, so I could reach things for her when Dad wasn't around. Well, my husband puts things at eye level. <laughs> for and reference, Mom is five four and a half. Three quarters. Excuse me, three quarters. And my father is six foot four. And, and my no eye quarters. level is not his eye level. Oddly enough. Very oddly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I started putting the cookies and stuff at my eye level. <laughs> and oddly enough, the cookies seem to last longer that way. That's true. That's true, but the ice cream, though, that's kind of in between, and that's always gone. Yeah. I don't know. So we talked before, uh, whenever we were introducing, that we were really curious about the table that the pilgrims ate off of. And the first giving... Thanksgiving tables were very mostly crudely hacked pieces because first Thanksgiving happened only a year after the Pilgrims landing and it was a three day feast. They had 90 Native Americans there and somewhere between 60 and 80 Pilgrims. Three day feast. My kids would have been in hog heaven. Oh my goodness. Could you imagine a three day feast? Yeah, I could. It's called a lot of cooking and cleaning. Yes, it is. Although I feel like the well, no, it definitely would have been harder because there's no, they didn't oh, really yeah. they didn't really have a kitchen or no. wash stations and stuff like that. Uh-uh. So you'd have to sit there and uh, burn all of your pans or sit them on a fire so you could get so you could ash it, clean them, clean them out. Those of you who haven't been cooked on cast iron while you're camping, no, but it is it is not fun to clean cast iron while you are camping uh, with primitive materials. <laughs> It's hot. It is hot, and it is... burn the crap out of your hands. Yeah, it's quite painful. I bet hot pads were probably some of the first very useful inventions as far as cooking goes. Uh, I guarantee they were some of the first useful inventions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I feel like those were invented out of necessity. I'll have to to look up and see when hot pads were made. (laughs) (laughs) I really want to know now. I'm curious. It's like, okay, hey. Uh, I, whoever did that was a genius. That's true. Or or just uh, an innovator. Or somebody had the crap burned out of their fingers. Yeah, or somebody with a, with a very third degree burn on their hand or something. Yeah. Yeah. So 
there, I, uh, the first meeting, the first Thanksgiving meeting, there were actually two account, uh, accounts of the meeting made. So one was by the governor, William Bradford, who lived between 1590 and 1657. And he wrote an important chronicle called The History of Plymouth Plantation until 1646. So the second of the two accounts of the first Thanksgiving was scribed by a colony leader named Edward Winslow, and he wrote it in his journal known as Mort's Relation. So we talked a lot about the different antiques throughout our podcast, and we talked about a lot of different furniture and a lot of really cool things, but these types of documents and writings, these are some of the most amazing antiques. Personal accounts of history are really the clearest window by which we can see into and gain wisdom from the past. Lots of very flowery words there. <laughs> yes, but it is true. I mean, clearly the Wampanoag Indians, part of the Algonquian, excuse me, Algonquian speaking peoples and the pilgrims did give thanks to their own same god or gods following the harvest. And understanding their plight at the time is a lesson towards understanding the true meaning of today's holiday. The Wampanoags had encountered the European explorers, fishermen, and slavers before, so they knew something of their power and probably still foresaw the white men's weapons and plagues as a threat to their way of life. But still, Tisquantum, or Squanto, was what the pilgrims called him, one of the heroes of today's Thanksgiving tales, and his fellow tribespeople did help the newcomers survive by teaching them to cultivate corn and build Indian-style houses. So, obviously, most people know the story that the uh, plague of smallpox brought, brought over by the pilgrims and their blankets would all but wipe out these pilgrims, but... Well, they didn't just bring smallpox. They brought a whole lot of other nasties, too. Yeah, that's very true. And as well, for the, that's a whole nother topic of of uh, tribal, the way tribes worked and and how they uh, married and bred and how yes. it kind of went because there was no disease really at all within no. the tribes because the women would keep very very strict genealogies. Yes, so that you there was no interbreeding and all that kind of stuff, which you know will cause a lot of mental and health problems. Right, but. After the Europeans came over, yeah. lots of stuff. Lots of stuff changed. You guys have to look that one up. Yeah. But back to the, the pilgrims the, in, the, in that first colony, after that first year, they actually suffered. And they had to bury about half the number of people that came, up, came with them on the boat. So they actually leveled their graves and they sowed them under the grain in the spring so that they could conceal the loss of all their... All of colony people from the Indians, but like we said before, even through all of this heart, all of this hardship, all of this turmoil, and the, I guess, ill will, even then, through all of this, in 1621, the two races of people still sat together, and for a very short-lived peace, they gave thanks for all the blessings of the harvest. And you know that's uh, and that really should be a lesson to everybody listening. Yes. So right. no matter the differences in culture, in religion, in color, or no, even even no matter how those people treat you, uh, yeah, and, and no matter how they treat that's, you, that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, you know, what we said really is, is obviously these two groups of people were not 
Uh, well, at least one of them was not very good to the other. But even through that, even through the pilgrims and everything that they did to the Native Americans, the Native Americans still sat down at, the, at their table and ate with them. And ate with them. And that says a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a huge testament of peace and goodwill. And it's a huge testament to just what kind of people that they were. Well, it really does. Yeah. And I will tell you, the, the ones in history, uh, groups of people in history that have always stood out to me are the ones that did demonstrate that kind of mercy and forgiveness and just goodwill towards other people. Uh, several years ago, I think Aram's probably, well, it was a baby uh, or little one anyway. There was an, a man and he came through the Amish community up in Pennsylvania and killed a whole grouping of Amish kids at their school oh, yeah. and the teacher. And uh, I, it was just horrible, absolutely a, horrible. Terrible. But what stood out the most about those Amish parents who lost their children in one of the, one of the worst ways you could lose a child was they forgave him. Yes. They forgave him and went on. They buried their children. They forgave him and they drew closer to God. And I thought, you know what? That speaks more to them and their culture and their belief system, but just how good natured that they are, but also their dedication to follow it. Right. Well, you their know, dedication, not only that, not you, only, you have to work it. You would have to work at it. Well, to you have to work, you have to, you have to work at mercy. Kid. You have to work at mercy and forgiveness. Yeah. You have to. And yeah, to, to forgive someone who murdered your child. But see, that'll stand out more to me than somebody that started the war or, you know, fought and did, you know, was evil and fought in a war and they're the ones trying to get all the attention or the ones or the ones that, you know, sought retribution or revenge yes. and oh, so yeah, on. Yeah. I mean, in that, in that scenario, it's, yeah, I think everyone would agree. Everyone understands the need, the need, the want for revenge. I think, I'm sure. I think, I don't think I would have batted an eye if that entire community had gone and strung that guy up by his toes and slit his throat. No, I think most people would have cheered them on. I guarantee they would Here's have. Here's the rope, how much you need. Exactly. Absolutely. I'm sure, I'm sure, but at the, but like, but exactly. But what a testament to their belief. Exactly. Exactly. What a testament And you to know their what? Belief. You can believe whatever it is that you want to believe, but believe it and practice it. That is the biggest thing. You know, it, you definitely I need to practice what you preach. I don't people that say, I'm a whatever, and then they're, they don't practice they don't yeah. practice what they preach yeah well you know everybody likes to be the exception to their own rules but if you're the exception in your own rules then why have them well it's true yeah you're the exception you're the odd one out yeah so the exception doesn't make the rule no we're about out of time but before i go i wanted to Note that if you guys want to learn more about this topic, there's actually a book. It's about 600 pages long. Yeah, get on that. Yeah. Wallace Nutting, he wrote a book detailing – yes, Nutting. Fantastic last name. <laughs> Fantastic name. Wallace Nutting. I mean, goodness, that's great. Mm -hmm. But he wrote a book <laughs> detailing the furniture of the Pilgrim Century. So his book is actually named The Furniture of Pilgrim Century, including colonial utensils and hardware. It was published in 1922. So yeah, guys, get on that. Read the whole thing. I should take you, a, I don't know, maybe an hour or two. And, yeah. Yeah, just write a comment on your summary or your review hour of the book. And 20. <laughs> yeah, something like that. 
I'm on page 15. <laughs> it's only been six days. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of pictures in it. I'll say that. Ooh, I like pictures. Yeah, I went through it and uh, I, 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 I skimmed it. I did not read all 600 <laughs> like, pages. It's like, if you read all 600 <laughs> pages, I will be color be impressed. I did not read all 600 pages, but I did skim a lot. And there's a lot of pictures and illustrations, excuse me, detailing the work, the woodwork that was done in that century. It's very, very thorough. I mean, very six, thorough. 600 pages thorough. Did they go through exactly what chisels were used to carve? There were pictures of chisels and tools. <laughs> I kid you not. I kid you I not. I kid you not. Yep. Yeah. Well, <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks so much for joining us and having fun with us. Absolutely. We always Thank love you having so you. Thank so much. Yeah. All right. Well, stay hip. And humble. Okay, bye. Bye.